If you take a cruise to Alaska, the first port you'll come to is Ketchikan, Alaska. Ketchikan was founded because of salmon, and is the salmon capital of the world. It was founded after the first salmon cannery opened in 1886 at the mouth of Ketchikan Creek. And by 1936, seven canneries produced over 1.5 million cases of salmon. During salmon runs, Ketchikan Creek was so full of salmon, you could walk across the salmon's back without touching water. You might think that that's a fish story, and maybe it is. Try walking across fish. It's slippery. During those days of canneries and seasonal workers came other industries. The women of Ketchikan Creek. As a tourist, you will no doubt see dollies, whose address is 24 Creek Street, a wooden street that sits on pilings over the south side of Ketchikan Creek. Dollies is a museum left pretty much as the last man who would have been entertained by Dolly, one of the houses of ill repute closed in 1954. From those early days of canneries and salmon came the saying that Ketchikan Creek is where fish and fishermen went to spawn. The canneries closed along with those houses, but fishing for salmon remains an important industry for Alaska. And you no doubt have heard about wild Alaska salmon. So if you take that cruise to Alaska, and one of the shore excursions is to a salmon bake, by all means go. Even if you don't like salmon, this is worth a try. Nowhere else in the world will you get such fresh, wild Alaska salmon as there. Trust me, I've eaten salmon in some of the finest restaurants in the world, from Paris to Phoenix, California to Catalonia. Most of the salmon I've tasted is bloody awful and nothing like fresh-caught, wild Alaskan salmon. I know, because I was born and raised in Ketchikan. And Dolly? She was a matronly neighbor that I had no idea of her past. Today, we will hear about salmon and the effect of our ocean on salmon runs, and why spending more for wild Alaska salmon is worth it, not only for taste, but for nutrition. My name is Dr. Terry Simpson, and this is Culinary Medicine, where we sort out the crazy from credible about food, from its source to its effect on your body, busting myths and showing evidence where food can be medicine. When Dolly and a host of other madams ran their houses, most of their customers were cannery workers, seasonal employees. They made a dollar a day working. They spent $3 a day for Dolly or her girls. The cannery workers weren't permanent residents of Ketchikan, but seasonal workers who came from late spring to early fall for the salmon rub. The canneries had their largest production ever in 1947 when the people of the United States loved canned salmon. And canneries were run by large corporations out of Seattle. And they harvested the salmon through fish traps, where entire streams or rivers would appear to have a wire dam or a fish trap. These traps would force salmon into cages. 
and they could be easily taken out and brought to the cannery for fast canning. If a cannery needed 15,000 pounds of fresh fish, they would tell their trap supervisor to get that for them. So you can imagine, seeing these large traps led to the perception that they were harvesting all of the fish. And they would prohibit fishermen from setting their nets too close to those rivers and streams. Those large corporations out of Seattle were not too popular, but they did provide a lot of workers with a lot of income, which provided a lot of income for the town, seasonal income, and that kept Dolly busy. But then the cannery started to close, so much so that in 1953, President Eisenhower declared Alaska as a national disaster area. The seasonal workers didn't come back and Dolly's was closed in 1954. Fishermen will tell you that the evil corporations from Seattle took our fish, and fishermen couldn't make a living. So Alaska started fish hatcheries and worked to outlaw fish traps. Now local fishermen could make a living with their own boats, and Ketchikan went from being a seasonal town to a fishing town with more permanent residents. And a town that decided having prostitution wasn't a good idea. And in spite of opposition and a few city officials and police who were friends of the Creek Street establishment, prostitution was outlawed and Dolly's was closed. But don't worry, we will hear from Dolly again. Right. The one thing I would point out to people is that while, you know, the, you know I'm, I'm, I'm down with uh, calling the Seattle corporations evil and, you know, taking all the fish and t- more than that, taking all the wealth that came from uh, the domestic fisheries. But the problem is that once you get past uh, 1953 and into the early uh, 1960s, uh, you also get to a point where the runs are beginning to rebound and will stabilize and then rebound. And then they come back long before the hatcheries show up and are doing anything really effective. Yeah. And I kind of think that more of the reason that the people in Seattle left was it wasn't worth it anymore. To a considerable extent, that's true because essentially by the late 1950s, the hatcheries are shutting down all over the place. Nobody, uh, uh, and it's, it's not because the fishers are failing. It's because consumers want fresh rather than canned fish. That is Joseph Taylor III, a professor of history at Simon Fraser University. In 1959, Alaska became a state and outlawed fish traps. This opened up salmon fishing. And because Alaska regulates fishing licenses, they claim to have the world's most sustainable wild salmon industry. World-renowned from all organizations as an amazing recovery of the salmon species. But did we really manage it that well? I think that there, there are a lot of reason, ways to, uh, to critique Alaska's management, not the least of which is Alaska it spends exactly zero pennies in terms of ocean production. You know, they boast a lot about their success based on an engine that is wholly beyond their control. And if you look at the last year, uh, the last season, it's, it's very disturbing in the sense that what you've seen is an implosion of runs all up and down the coast. Um, it's, it, you know, no place, including Bristol, was very healthy last year. And um, uh, you can see that in the skyrocketing prices in the markets. 
Today, Alaska's fishermen sell more than 100 times the salmon that they did in the 1950s. But in spite of that, over 90% of the salmon that the U.S. consumers eat is imported, mainly from fish farms in Canada, Norway, and Chile. But what's more concerning is that Alaska salmon, the one our fishermen catch, over 80% of that salmon is sent to Asia. Initially, it was sent there to remove the bones and the heads and process the salmon, which meant the frozen fish was thawed, processed, and refrozen. And that processed salmon used to be sent back to Alaska, but now that salmon is staying in Asia. Instead, the majority of Americans eat the bland-tasting fish farm salmon that is imported. But are those fish farm salmon as good for you as wild Alaska salmon? So far, The evidence is that farm-raised salmon is not. While we are sending our best fish to Asia, we import lesser quality fish from the multinational corporations abroad. We have made the full circle from corporate-owned canneries to individual fishermen to corporate-owned fish farms now supplying the majority of salmon for the United States. I am somewhat skeptical about the relative healthfulness of farmed Atlantic salmon in comparison to wild-caught salmon, um, with a couple exceptions of the, um, one run in particular of wild salmon that I would advise people not to consume. But otherwise, I think that they're healthier. Uh, I, I think the, uh, from what I've seen, the omega-3s that come from wild salmon are qualitatively better. And um, I but uh, equally important for me, at least as a consumer, is knowing that I'm purchasing fish from uh, working people as opposed to a large corporation. Nutritionally, wild Alaska salmon has a better ratio of omega-3 fatty acids to omega-6 fatty acids than farm-raised. Your body doesn't make omega-3 fatty acids. We have to get it from our diet. And the best place to get that is from salmon. Omega-3 fatty acids have been implicated in a reduction of heart attacks, strokes, and heart failure. But if you try to just get it from fish oil capsules, there is not very good evidence that this works. Instead, there's very good evidence that by eating salmon twice a week, you reduce your risk of heart failure by over 90%. Omega-6 fatty acids are responsible for inflammation, and you generally want food that has more omega-3 fatty acids than 6, like wild Alaska salmon, but not farm-raised salmon. Additionally, Alaskan salmon has less pollutants, including PCBs, mercury, pesticides, and while fish farms are getting better at decreasing those problems, the recommendation is to not eat farm salmon more than twice a week. Additionally, since wild salmon swim more throughout the ocean than farm-raised salmon, the farm-raised salmon are kept in pens, so wild salmon has more muscle, which means wild salmon is leaner. It has fewer calories. Plus, buying salmon from Alaska, you're supporting local fishermen instead of a large corporation. Canned salmon, by the way, is still available from Alaska, And canned salmon is wild salmon, canned when it's caught. By the way, I have a great recipe for salmon cakes from canned salmon. 
And that salmon is healthier than farm-raised. I have an interest in salmon. Uh, it flows in part from the fact that I used to be a salmon fisher. But what really intrigues me from a kind of nerdy scholarly perspective is how people can test uh, access to natural resources. And salmon are particularly intriguing because they don't stay put. Their anatomy in and of itself draws together people from very distant places and it creates uh, ways of managing or contesting various people's interests in salmon that are worth looking at for a variety of reasons. Salmon are one of the few creatures that are born in freshwater streams and then migrate to saltwater oceans. We call that anadromous. They live in the ocean for several years, up to seven years, and travel back to the very stream they were hatched in, where they spawn and die. And most salmon are caught as they return to those streams to spawn. But salmon runs have decreased recently, and that should concern everyone, because salmon are a measure of what's happening in our oceans. And will we eventually have to rely on fish farms for our salmon? Uh, that's a really important question, and ultimately what it hinges on two things, is simply growing consumption on the one side and declining productivity of the oceans on the other, mostly related to climate change, both in terms of warming, because a warmer ocean simply is less productive. It carries less oxygen and it produces less biomass, and all you have to do is compare the cold ocean environments and biomass of the North Pacific with your average tropical ocean, which can be very colorful, but is a relative um, uh, ecological desert compared to you know, colder waters. Whereas if you want to talk about the long-term consequences, quite frankly, of the blob, uh, that large and growing uh, warming of the North Pacific for a number of years through the mid 2010s really had long-term consequences. So the key to the population of wild Alaska salmon runs is less the management of hatcheries or fishing licenses, but it is what's happening in our oceans. While Alaskans were up in arms about fish traps, one would think that Alaskan would consider what happens to the environment, that that would matter. And yet, other threats to Alaska fish are almost welcomed. Right now, we can look at the, the political tug of war going on just within the state over whether to allow mining operations uh, within the Lake Iliama watershed and other places. And that's one of those ways in which simply domestic interests within a state uh, begin to shape the potential outcomes down the road. You know, the, we've seen um, mining dams burst in Brazil and other places, and all you need is one really toxic mining release uh, down into Lake Iliama, and you've affected one major source of western Alaska salmon. It's certainly not the only one, but right now, Alaskans seem, uh, because of the, the recent uh, election, 
Alaskans seem comfortable with at least putting that run into risk. Alaska has always been a boom or bust state, with large corporations coming in, mining, and leaving. The one sustainable growth has been the number two industry, tourism. Which is where most people see Dolly's Museum. Dolly spent her last 20 years in Ketchikan going by her given name, Thelma Copeland. She bought the high school band its uniforms and always gave to local charities. She was a great philanthropist for the city. She died in 1975. Today, Ketchikan again has seasonal workers. And while Dolly's house is a museum, her profession has had its own renewal. At least that's what they tell me. In the land where tourists come and spawn with the salmon. Wild Alaska salmon is a healthier choice than farm-raised salmon. When you purchase wild Alaska salmon, you're supporting individual fishermen over multinational corporations. You know the providence of your meal in the oceans of the North Pacific, instead of some anonymous fish pins off the shores of Canada or Norway or Chile. Alaska salmon is healthier for you and your family. And while anyone from Southeast Alaska can taste the difference between a wild Alaska salmon and a farm-raised salmon, I'm willing to bet you can too. On a scale of one to five, where one is a near-perfect food, I give wild Alaska salmon a solid one and farm-raised salmon a 2.5. Special thanks to Professor Joseph Taylor III of Simon Fraser University for lending his comments to today's show. And of course, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Culinary Medicine with me, Dr. Terry Simpson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review it on the Apple iTunes store. It really does make a difference. And remember, while I'm a doctor, I am not your doctor. And you should always seek the advice of a trusted, licensed medical provider with experience in your particular condition or concern before taking any action. But if you are my patient, then you should be eating wild Alaska salmon. Culinary Medicine is a part of the Your Doctor's Orders Network, and you can find a post about wild Alaska salmon with transcripts and notes, and maybe a picture of Dolly at yourdoctorsorders.com. Culinary Medicine is produced and distributed by our friends at Simpler Media, and my executive producer is the talented producer girl from Producer Girl Productions. You can follow me on Twitter, where I'm at Dr. Terry Simpson, that's Dr. Terry Simpson. I'll be back next time when we will have another conversation about food as medicine or unveil another food con, maybe a fish bait. Until next time, don't drink the water, drink the wine. You know, Evo, when we were kids, there was this one movie theater and we would line up there, you know, on Saturdays and Dolly would come by. We had no idea who this person was, but she would ask for our names. And if she knew our dad's name, she would give us a silver dollar. Now, she didn't know my dad, and I always felt left out. But when I used to deliver her medications when I worked as a stock boy in a drugstore, every time 
she gave me a silver dollar as a tip. I wonder if that meant she knew the owner of the drugstore. You know, the first tattoos I ever saw on ladies were from some of Dolly's girls. They kind of had these eagles or ravens tattooed on their thighs. Don't ask me how I know that. Growing up in Alaska. You know, 